that after the Holocaust, it means that in every case of a woman who needed a heta, you not only have to be sure her husband is dead, but you have to establish whether or not she needs chalitza. Because imagine you can have a case of a man with ten children, and all ten children were killed before the husband was killed, and here's a mother of ten children who needs chalitza, lo aleinu. You understand the implications? Uh, so it's fascinating. Uh, truth is, I don't. I I did not see literature on this particular topic. So it simply may be that when there was a need for chlitz or a suffolk, they did it. You know, it's no no big deal. And uh, you're dealing here with people after the Holocaust. By and large, you're dealing with people who are. It's not like today where you have to cajole or convince those that aren't from there. You're dealing with from people or traditional people. So it wasn't a problem. But it's interesting because that dawned upon me with the whole question yesterday of. Uh, with him, we're worried that he'll marry a sister-in-law. But with her, there's never a worry because you're not going to have Yibum. And uh, and then the brother-in-law is an ever in, in most cases. But it's interesting that uh, the mirror image doesn't apply here. But with the man, there was really a fear. It's interesting. All right, that was yesterday's year. Now, um, I, I, like, I like the example you gave. What we spoke about last week, and we were dealing with uh, the difference between Torah and Torah Shabbat and uh, and the way the Revlin shot, and as I said, it's not free of difficulty because there are various pshatim there too, as far as it could be that's what Moshe learned from Kaddish Baruch Hu. or it could be it's not it's not that Kaddish Baruch Hu it's not Shaykh to say that the Kaddish Baruch Hu would receive money but when the way I taught you Bechinam Afata Bechinam so you can, you, can, you can go various ways with the pshatim but the way the Rav learned that it's mani bechinim afatav bechinim that the Torah shabichtav you got the Torah shabichtav I taught you bechinim the Torah shabichtav that Hakadosh Baruch Hu taught Moshe Rabbeinu Hakadosh Baruch Hu certainly can't take any scha but the Chiddush was that the Torah shabalper he taught bechinim and Moshe taught it bechinim so Meshech Hadarot you too have to teach it bechinim. So the Rav explained what's the difference because the Torah Shabbichtav, which Hakadosh Baruch Hu taught Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu was not more not merely a shliach. He can't. He's not the baldava. He doesn't own it. So there, he's a shliach. He's conveying God's law. When he's conveying God's law, so he has the right to request. I'm a shliach. I'm, I'm doing labor. It's not mine. I'm doing you a favor. He has the right to request uh, uh, money. When it's when it belongs to him, we can say to him that you have to give it bechinim, this is yours, and we want you to emulate a Kaddish Baruch Hu, ma'ni bechinim, afata bechinim. And uh, that's the way the Rav learned, Torah Shabbat remains a Kaddish Baruch Hu, you know more than a Shliach, Torah Shabbat you make a Kenyan in, and then the ma'ni bechinim, afata bechinim applies. Like a Kaddish Baruch Hu taught, see now you can learn Pshat, that which God owned, it doesn't have to be Torah Shabbat it can be Torah Shabbat too, obviously. Mani b'chinim afatah b'chinim, because I own Torah Shabbat I taught it b'chinim, you have to teach b'chinim. But Torah Shabbat uh, is what the person owns, Torah Shabbat is only a shliach. So that was the nafkamina. And I said last week, and this is what the Rav said, that what you own, you can ask the person to waive. So Jack gave an example, which, is with the, which was the Rav, this was what the Rav was saying. That it's like uh, you ask someone to, uh, for the sake of argument, to take some tapes to America for you. So it's a shliach. You ask someone to take mail. There's a whole industry here of uh, institutions that have mailings. So it's much 
cheaper and much more reliable to do the mailing in an American mailbox. So then this is, I know, I know this from Shvatami. So there are institutions here that hire people to mail the letters when they get to America. And they pay them for that shlichot. That's a shliach. You can't be mavater. You have to pay them. But if Jack said, if I give someone a Rembrandt, a gift, and then he shows the Rembrandt off and charges money, this is offensive. I gave you a gift. You have to, if I gave you the Rembrandt for nothing, you have to show it for nothing. So that's what the Torah Shabbat Peh, and I like that shot. And it, that's exactly what the Reb said. Uh, and I want to say that uh, we now have a student has returned. And about the student, we cannot say, because I happen to know that he's gone through a lot of difficulty in the States. Uh, Rachel had a, his, his wife had a difficult uh, delivery. And uh, afterwards, uh, what was it, your grandmother who died? So I know that you, but anyway, first of all, condolences uh, on the death of your grandmother. And uh, a big muscle tough on the birth of your daughter, you should be zeichel gadel atol atorel chupna meisim tovin. And how does how does how does Rachel feel? Okay, baruch Hashem. So the worst is over. You're back, and it makes me very happy. Now, so that's the pshat. We we just added one one little nefach, and then we went in. And I have to tell you that the Saturday night, Saturday night, this came up uh, at my uh, I was some people started arguing with me. Why uh, Rabbi Yosef Soloveitchik doesn't uh, take in more students? And I quoted the Gemara. I quoted to you last week. This is the Gemara in Brachat with Bishat Machnisin Pazer, Bishat Mafazerim Kaneis. It's the whole Gemara with with uh, Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Lazar Ben Azaya. And do you take in a lot of students? Do you take in few students? And this is the concept that the Rebbe owns the Torah Shabbat Peh. Once the Rebbe owns the Torah Shabbat Peh, he can do with it with what he wishes. Obviously, we would like a Rebbe to be more generous. But uh, there's a difficulty here. And uh, I let it hang fire. But my example of the Lubavitcher Rebbe versus the Rav is a very sharp example. It calls into focus the entire difference between the Hasidic world and the Litvisha world. The Litvisha world, in order to be a Talmud, you have to be able to comprehend the Rebbe. The Rebbe is not willing to go on street corners and uh, give Lulav and Etrog uh, to people to hold. The Hasidic world is different. And Ein Hachinami, it's an interesting thought that the Lubavitcher Rebbe at one Fabrenian addressed more people than the Rebbe ever taught in his classroom in 44, whatever it is, 1941, 44 years, 1941 to 1985, than the Rebbe taught in 44 years of teaching. Think what I'm saying. The Lubavitcher Rebbe, one Fabrengan, I'm not exaggerating, particularly the Fabrengans from the 1970s on. Again, the Rebbe of the 50s and the 60s is not yet the Rebbe of the 70s, but when you take the Rebbe of 70 and 71 and 72, one for bringing 8,000 people, 10,000 people, after with the richest proportions that are indescribable because of the, of the, of the transmission, uh, the hookups all over the world. What I explained to you last week, I mean, I wasn't exaggerating. You went into the uh, transmission room to the electronics room at, at 770. It was all Israelis. Everyone was talking Hebrew and everyone was there with a beard and payas, balei tshiva, yotzei tzavah. And 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 they and and the uh, cable TV, we punish along. The Rebbe could have been speaking, and and tens of thousands listening. How many understood the Rebbe? Very few. 
very few. Understand, no one knew Yiddish anymore, and you had to be on foot. When the Rebbe spoke Torah Tanikla, so I'll be, uh, uh, I will be arrogant enough to say that I understood the Rebbe. When the Rebbe spoke Torah Tanista, uh, what can I say? Uh, I will now be arrogant enough to hide behind the rug. If, if, if in the car my students told me when they left the Fambringen in 1980, so those that went with the Rav, so they said, Rebbe, you know, what were your impressions? So the Rav said that, that when he spoke, you know, Torah Tanikla, he spoke for me, because he spoke at a topic that the Rav and the Rebbe evidently had discussed many years earlier. But when he spoke, Torah Sanista, the Rav said, he didn't understand one word, you understand? So, uh, so how many people, if the Rav didn't understand the Rebbe, Torah Tanista? Yeah, but again, you fellas, did, did you ever see if I'm bringing what it means when the Rebbe said, when, when he would say a Devach HaSidut, and it was just unbelievable, everyone would stand and he would say the entire Maimah, with his eyes closed. There was no, nothing in front of him, no text. And he would be quoted verbatim from the Zohar, from the Tanya, from the Mitla Rebbe, from the Geret HaKodesh. I mean, it was just an unbelievable Chavaya. The Chavaya itself of everyone standing but the Chilu Rechima. I mean, here in the Wayukolo, the Rebbein can bring down heaven and earth. No one is standing, no one is rushing, no one is crowding the premises, no one is, is standing for the Chilu Rechimu, it's just the Chavaya itself. But, but Eina Chinami, it's a very interesting point, and this is the Pshat in the Gemara. And you can go back and forth, last week you challenged me, was it good or bad, uh, was Rabbi Gamliel right or wrong? Listen, we don't need the Gemara of last week. And Hillel HaZakin, the Gemara in, in Yoma, when Hillel HaZakin goes up to the Arubah, and you have to ask a question, what kind of Shomer was this? He wouldn't allow Hillel sucking in. I mean, what's going on here? This uh, makes Dr. Sokol look good. I don't believe that in YU. If someone is a little bit behind in tuition, they're not going to throw him out of class. And here Hillel HaZakin uh, almost died because of the Shomer. But what do you see from that? That, that, that evidently the Rebbeim at that time, Shmaiv Avtalion, were mocked they didn't want phonies to come into class. They had a showman, you had to pay admission, and they had, to, they had to be sure you were honest, and had to be sure you were sincere. So you see, the Rebbe owns the Torah. It's the only way to explain it. Now, and then we went into the inherent tragedy of, uh, of Kelef HaMalak Min Hayam. And of course, that is ongoing. There's no solution to that. That is part of the foibles of human existence. And I don't think you have a better example of what's going on now with women's prayer groups and what was Rabbi Soloveitchik's approach. Just think for a moment, though. Frimer and Ayat Frimer wrote an article, one point of view. Um, Moshe Meisman wrote an article, another point of view. Mayor Tweski wrote an article, a slightly different point of view. And, and each one claims, we... Talmudim of the Rav, we know what the Rav said. We, we, we're quoting the Rav. Volvovsky wrote an article, is also Talmud of the Rav, wrote a book, not just an article. And he had another point of view. And here you're dealing with the Rav. We're not dealing with Socrates, we're not dealing with Plato, we're not dealing with an ancient figure. We're dealing with someone who, until a number of years ago, was very tangible and very close to many people who are still alive and still in the prime of life. And nevertheless, Look how much has been written on one simple matter. What was his attitude towards prayer groups? And this is Kalaf Hamalakek Menayam. It's a powerful, a powerful thought, a very sad thought. And that's the Gemara Brachot, Kinav Shenach Sheidarav, with Riv Abba Ba'ava, that unbelievable Gemara, which the Rav touched up. It's in, it's, it, it appears in Al Hachiva. 
what I signed it last week appears not a tshuva, and Enoch Hinami, uh, he ripped career a second time. It's a powerful thought the way the Rebbe explained it, because the first time was a perfunctory kriya. The Rebbe died. The Rebbe died. You have to rip kriya. The second time already, when they didn't know birchat so there he said, uh, Rebbe died, and even the simplest matters like birchat we didn't know, and that's when he ripped the second kriya. Now, if this is so, then there are many halachic instances that result from this. And we ended off last week with one of them, very important one, that's halachalamaisa, that whenever there's a din in Kriya, you don't have to understand one word. It's simply a din in, in a perception, in experiencing the, the, the Kriya, although you may not comprehend it at all. And... The greatest proof of all is the open mission in Megillah, Loe's, Loe's Sheshema Ashurit Yatsa. And that's an amazing, it's an open Mishnah, that the Loe's Sheshema Ashurit, or you take this morning, for instance, in, in, a, in America, in, in England, in Belgium, there was Kriyat Torah in every shul. Kriyat Torah, of course, in, in the, maybe in America it hasn't happened yet, it'll happen in a few hours, but there's Kriyat Torah in every shul. How many Bali Tshuva really understand Hebrew? How many Bali Tshuva understand what they hear? Uh, you know, nowadays everything is in English. You're all aware of what I call the art school generation. Even my own students, I was shocked that I have one student I'm particularly close to. And for a while I was saving clippings of the Israeli press for him. And he's a, a brilliant fellow, a doctor's doctor. And, and he tells me that it's difficult for him to read. And this is clippings of the Israeli press. And he told me it's difficult for him to comprehend. So I will assume, uh, Baruch Hashem, that, uh, that Torah Shebechtavi understands, that Torah Shebechtavi understands. But nevertheless, there's so many people that will hear Kriyat Torah this morning who don't understand the Kriyat HaMegillah. And that's exactly the pshat, that there's, when there's a din in Kriyat, it's only a din of perception. You don't need comprehension to be Yotzei. However, Torah Shebechtavi is a din in comprehension. And here we're going to pick up with something I alluded to. And, and, and this is exactly, exactly what the Rub described. It's the, the beautiful description of Chaslavich, where the Rub describes um, in Chaslavich, hundreds and hundreds of people crowded the main base Medrash on Shabbos Chiver and Shabbos Hagadol to hear Rav Moshe's talk. And the Rav said, how many people understood him? He said there were a few Lamdanim in the audience, maybe 50 at the most, 100, that understood Red Moshe, that entered in a Shaklavataya. See, in Europe, and this is something I saw in Lakewood, and it's not something we generally see here, but when the Rebbe said a Shia, the audience cut him off, responded. There was a give and take throughout the entire Shia. It's different here. I don't believe we have such a free give and take. Uh, you listen to the Rebbe, the student sits. And he takes notes where we've transferred like Western approach to the study of Torah, which, which may be wonderful. But I saw in Lakewood when Rabarin got up to say a shir, Rabarin Kutl, I mean, as a kid, I was green behind the ears, wet behind the ears. But I was overwhelmed how the elder at Talmudim cut him off and yelled at him and he shouted back at them and write the shir, the shakla v'taya. And, and this is the way the Reb described Reb Meishah's Trivadrasha, Peishabas HaGadol Drasha, but he says there were 900 other people there who didn't understand the word. And yet they listened to the Chilu Rechim. He says, the way they, I'm quoting the Rebbe now, they looked at my father with awe. 
So what mitzvah did they have? Tamatari they didn't have, but they did have a mitzvah. And this is the Gemara in Brachat. Brachat Tafvav Amidbet. Very esoteric Gemara. Ikra the Pirka Rehita. And what does it mean? Explain the words. The merit of attending a public lecture lies in the running. I mean, what does it mean? Ikra the Pirka Rehita. And Rashi says, unbelievable. And wow, this is unbelievable, Rashi's description. Now what is Rashi saying? See, Pirka means the public talks. In Babylonia, evidently there were two times a year... Uh, when, when the masses came together to hear public talks, twice a year. Once it was around Pesach time, once it was around Yom Narayim, and they came together to hear public talks. And look what Rashi's saying. The overwhelming majority didn't understand this year. See, we don't have to be depressed. I always say, my Rabbeim sinned against us. When they told us that in Europe, everyone went to Davin. Remember what I told you? That Wednesday night, the crowd in Mir in the Shtibl was as big as the crowd on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Baruch Hashem, in Eretz Yisrael, I can tell you, we're on the same level, basically. Which probably is not so, nothing to boast about, because it just shows you that here the, the, the division is so great that even on Yom Kippur, Chiloniyim don't go to Shul, you understand? So maybe it's nothing to boast about. But uh, nevertheless, uh, take a look what the Gemara says. Take a look what Rashi says. That the masses came to hear the drasha and they didn't really understand it at all. I mean, it's Rashi's words. They couldn't repeat it. They didn't understand the that Their perception was lacking. They were they, they didn't have the kalim as we say. Yeah? They were not Tamidi Chachamim. How many Jews are really bucking in Shas? How many Jews are Tamidi Chachamim? How many Jews can hear Gedola Yisrael give a public shear and really comprehend them? But what's the schar? The Kavarat Teira. That even if there's no perception, even if there's no, excuse me, comprehension, but there's perception. There's Kavarat Teira. There's taking a seat. There's the 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 there's the the chilu rechimu, the derecheretz, the love of the Rebbe, the yiratakavet of the Rebbe, and wow, that's a very powerful Rashi. Now you couldn't say that about Torah Bechtav. Torah Bechtav, as long as you hear the 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 Kriyat Torah, as long as you hear the Kriyat Megillah, you're yotze. Torah that's where the comprehension is crucial. But the perception would be a din and cover terror. And that comes back to what I've cried about for so many decades already. I, I repeat it, I repeat it again, I put it into context now. The picture we never took. The picture we never took. See, that's the tragedy. That when you're, that n- when you're young, life will last forever. The Rebbe will always be here. The outside Russia will always be here. Why you will always be here. The, your friends will always be here. The the, the will always be here. We were too young to appreciate it. But I'll never forget that sight. If the Yotzeit Shi was 8 o'clock at night, the Yotzeit Shi in memory of Reb Moshe, which was the high point of American Torah, 
9 o'clock in the morning, 9.30 in the morning, you walked into the auditorium, Lampert Auditorium, hundreds of seats were already reserved. People had their hats on a seat, sperm on a seat, signs on a seat, jackets on a seat, hundreds and hundreds of seats already. 9.30 in the morning was a ghost town. No one was in the auditorium, but the chairs already had every sign of occupancy. Halavai, someone would have had the sense to take that picture. No one had that seichel. I'm only fortunate that for my book, I have two very moving photos that were taken in 1979. Someone had seichel then. One photo is in Nathan Lampert Auditorium, where you see the crowd listening to the shear. And the other photo is in Morgenstern, I think it was, they ran closed circuit TV. And you see the crowd watching the rub on a TV screen. And that is two pictures that are very fascinating. But that's the schar. And in Hachinam, I saw with my own eyes, when the, during the outside Shia Balabatim, and inevitably, how could they follow the Rav? I remember the heights he would reach in learning, but the Kavarat Torah was there. And the Rav said further, that, that Rashi that that Rashi himself clarifies this in a different place. The Gemara in Bracha Tafhei Yomer Aleph. The Gemara dashes on the pasuk Shmot Chavdalit Pasuk Yud Bet VeYet Nalachat Luchot Evan VaHatorah VaHamitzvah Ashekatafti LaHoratam. And what does it mean Luchot Torah Mitzvot? And Rashi says. And the Gemara says, "Luchat elu aseret hadibrat Torah zem mikra v'hamitzvat zumishna." And Rashi explains, "What does it mean zem mikra chumish shemitzuve likrot b'Torah zumishna sheyaasku b'mishna?" Oh boy, what is Rashi saying here? It's beautiful. Comes the chumish. The whole mitzvah is mikra, perception. Comes to Mishnah, sheya asku. You have to be involved, totally involved. Perception, comprehension, involvement has to be part of you. You have to breathe it. You can't leave it. It forges you. It shapes you. It changes you. It belongs to you. You and Torah Shabbat become one Gavra, one individual, it becomes part of your very gestalt, your very makeup. That's la asok. Torah shebichtav semikra sufficient. You read the Torah Monday, Thursday. I heard the Kriyat Torah this morning. You heard the Kriyat Torah. All right, we listened. We we didn't think any big pull pull him. I was wanting to be in a rush. We had to finish davening. Whatever it is, you understand. You daven in the yeshiva. You probably daven slow. I daven with balabatim. It's unbelievable. And the, the, the minyanim in, in all Rifka, uh, the, the, each minion boasts which minion finishes quicker today. The only minion that davens uh, slowly is the uh, seven o'clock minion davens slowly. But the the other minyanim each minion. Uh, Right, so you heard the mikra, the decree. I you we don't say, but learning Torah is la asok. It envelops you. It's your isak. Now, let me say a word here that the Rav didn't say, but uh, it's part of the same thought. And I, I heard this thought from 
the, I don't know, a person who probably was the second greatest influence in my life, Rabbi Akrol, was a, but the, was probably the third influence. This, I don't know, the Rav is the greatest, but the, the Mashkiach of the Yeshiva, Yaakov Moshe Akoin Lessons, Eichel Sadak Levracha, and Ayeh Kroll, the man who sent me into Russia, uh, vie for place number two as the influences in my life. So Rav Lesson used to say, what does it mean, the Bracha, so Rav Lesson used to say that it means like a businessman. He says, and it's so true, you know, then I was a kid, I didn't know businessmen. Did you ever see businessmen? Their whole life is business. They never have time. They're always, if they'll grant you an interview, or they'll grant you 15, Rabbi can give you 15 minutes. And, and, and they're busy. And they're watching, today the businessmen, they're hooked in, they're watching the stock market. The screens are running in front of them. They're on the phone, they're giving orders. Their whole gestalt is involved with business, a factory, investments, currency, stock market, news, the world. Their whole way of life, everything. It's a miracle they can make it to Shabbos and... Uh, and put this all behind them. I hope they can anyway. But that's a businessman. So our lesson said, that's the way a Jew has to be involved with Torah. And that's Torah Shabbat Peh. That's exactly it. That's exactly Torah Shabbat Peh. It transforms the personality. It sanctifies you. It uplifts you. The whole gestalt of the person is different. Ultimately, the human being becomes a walking Sefer Torah himself. This is what it's all about. La'asok. This is what it's all about. And here already, it's a lot more than perception and comprehension. It's the entire involvement, the running, the dedication, the mesirat nefesh, the love of Torah, the love of Talmidei Chachamim, the love of Jewish children that are repeating a pasuk chumish with Rashi. It's a different, it's a different human being. And this is exactly what the Rav is saying, exactly the way he teaches up the Gemara, Ikrid the Pichara Hitta. It's exactly Rashi, it's exactly Rav Lesson, exactly the Mashkiach. Ah, but more than that. What I've just said is so beautiful. No? Who said it originally? Where is it all coming from? And said it even with more sources. And this was the Rav's great grandfather, the Beit Halevi. This is the most famous part of the Hakdama to the Beit HaLevi. This piece that I'm about to quote is the most famous part. Quoted and requoted. And if I can summarize the Rav explaining his great-grandfather's Torah, the Rav said very simply, when it comes to Torah Shebuchtav, Torah is tremendous Kedusha. Where is the Kedusha? You take the Kedusha, it's on the, the veal, it's on the parchment. You sanctify it. You all know a sofa goes to mikveh, writes a Sefer Torah, L'Shem HaKadosh Baruch Every time before he writes the shame of Hashem, he's Makadesh, the shame Hashem. So you all know a Sefer Torah has tremendous sanctity. It has the Kedusha of Torah Shabbat. This is the Sefer Torah. It's the holiest object we Jews possess. But wait a minute, the Rav asked. If a Sefer Torah 
has so much Kedusha. Where is the Kedusha of the Torah Peh? That also has to have Kedusha. Where do we find that Kedusha? Where does that Kedusha go? And here the answer is overwhelming. Torah Peh sanctifies the individual. The Jew himself ultimately becomes a living Sefer Torah. It's exactly what we're talking about. Torah Shabbatam, it's limited. It's the scroll that you read from. Torah Shabbatam, La'asok B'divrei Torah. Your whole life, your whole involvement, your whole Isuk, your whole being, your whole Gestalt, your whole sense of values, your whole Weltanschauung, Everything becomes part of Torah Shabbat The Jew himself has all the sanctity. And this the Rav touched up. We always say about Pirkei I'm, I'm telling you this something you should all know, which I'm sure you do know. We all say Pirkei there's six prakam, right or wrong. Truth of the matter is, the Pirkei there are five prakam of Mishnah, and the last parak is basically a baraita. It's nothing to do with Mishnah. It's a baraita of Kenyan Torah, but the Jews so loved that writer of Kenyan Torah that he put it right in with Pirkei Yavid. And today, I don't have to tell you, the average Jew believes that there's six chapters to the Mishnah of Yavid. They're five plus one. But how does that sixth chapter begin? Shanu chachamim belashen ha-mishnah. Baruch she-bacham behem uve-mishnatam. Kalosayk betorah l'shmazochel advarim ha-beyu magadlom aram toa kola ma'asim v'chomishosayk betorah metorah ha-reze mitaleh shenema u-mimatanan ha-chliyel u-mimatachliyel b'mat v'amid b'chafalev pasuk yutet. What is this Baraita saying? It's exactly the thought we're expressing. When a person learns Torah Shebechtav, his Torah Shebechtav read, it doesn't change his entire personality. It doesn't enter into his body because he doesn't own it. It doesn't become part of him. There it's only a perfunctory reading. But Baruch, when Shanacham Rashana Mishnah, when you're involved with Mishnah, call Hoseik, Hoseik, this is Torah. When you are involved, your whole body changes. Everything changes. Your whole gestalt, your whole being. All the way up, from the valley, all the way up, the person's transformed, transfixed. You could never say this about this is the ultimate results. And this is why you have Gedoli Yisrael. This is why you have Gedoli Yisrael. This is exactly why. If you speak, one, one second, one second. This is why, exactly why you have Gedoli Yisrael. You speak about Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. He's a living safe at Torah. Rabbi Yosef Elio Henkin. Living Sefer Torah. These are people I knew up close. You talk about the Yaakov Kamenetsky. I mean, the whole Mahut, the whole person. is a living Sefer Torah. Talk about Gedoli Yisrael. Hasidim have a Rebbe. The Rebbe is a living Sefer Torah. This, 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 this is what it's all about. You talk about the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I mean, it's, it's hard for us to conceive 
of a man that had so much knowledge. And a man that accomplished so much. I mean, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. 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 A man that never left 770 Eastern Park. I mean, you have to say uh, the truth, what the man was. He once left, I think it was 1953, he went to Camp Gan Yisrael. That was the Lubavitch camp. He went to Camp Gan Yisrael. It's the only time he left 770. And when people pleaded with him, Rebbe, we, we'd like you to come here. They used to, there were times, again, he had a limited number of chassidim. He used to go, be Masada Kedushin, when his chassidim got married. Afterwards, the only way the Rebbe would be Masada Kedushin, if the couple came to 770. By 1970, the Rebbe even couldn't do that. There was just no time. Gave you a bracha, get married, give some hate. There are plenty of Lubavitcher Rabbanim, the Sadeh Kedushin. So, they never left her. They say to him, Rebbe, we'd like you to come here, like you to go there. He used to answer that I'm still trying to take a chop with the time I lost visiting Gan Yisrael. And, and, and he was telling him this was an honest answer. You have to, this, this, was, this, this was the Lubavitcher Rebbe. You understand? This is Gedola Yisrael. Gedola Yisrael. Show me one Gentile, the most erudite, the most learned. Who can you compare to these Gedola Yisrael? Who can you compare? I have in my book, I have two sources for it. Two, t- twice I have it, two different ways. But Reb Chaim had a Talmud, Abraham Gomer. The name mean anything to you. Gomer became a, a great professor of mathematics. A giant, a genius. A giant, an absolute giant. Wasn't religious anymore. The Rav visited him in Berlin. So the Rav told the story that he walked in in Gomer. It's a Talmud Mufuk of Reb Chaim. You understand? This, this is where I want to ram the ram. He thinks that the Haredi world was total success. Total success. Ah, ah, nechtik attack. So he walked in in he walked in in Avram Gomer. He was learning Gemara. He apologized to, to the young Rabbi Soloveitchik. He said, I can't pull myself away from the Gemara. But anyway, the Rav once asked him, you know, Goma was a shame dove, he was a chavre of Einstein. So he said to him, Professor Goma, you knew my grandfather Reb Chaim very well. You know Einstein very well. And Einstein was considered a very ethical person, you understand. If you know Einstein's life, the man was an ethical person. The man fought for just causes. He was a giant of a human being. He said, how would you compare Reb Chaim's personality, his gemilat chesed, to Albert Einstein? And Gomer answered, Einstein is a midget compared to Reb Chaim. And this is the difference. This is the difference. Okay. One second. We'll go further. Gershon. No, not as much as Torah Shopad. That's exactly it. Reading Pesukim with Rashi and Tosfat or, Ra- or, or Rashi and Ramban, I should say, that already is Torah Shabbat You understand? But, but, uh, Targum already is Torah Shabbat We're talking about Torah Shabbat A guy also has an Old Testament. No, he reads it. Big deal. Ben-Gurion knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. The Reformed Jews claim these Reformed reverends running around, uh, they also read the Old Testament. So what? Understand? It's perfunctory. 
But we are totally involved, Torah But don't confuse, when I say Torah the minute you study Chumash with Rashi, with Ramban, with the Ezra, you're in Torah my friend. You understand? That's part of the process. It transfixes you. But if you stum walk into shul on a Monday, Thursday, a businessman hops uh, the Torah Shabbat Tav, and then he goes back to his business, and we've had cases, Jews, from Jews, gangsters, thieves, murderers. Guys who fought in Bet Shalom to, to in Bet Shalom, it's a big shul in Lawrence. So every ten years, there's a big battle to make the mechitzah larger. The last battle was fought. Those guys all end up in jail. The biggest thieves in the world and the biggest scandals in New York. You understand? Uh, above a chassid, uh, they're buying planes for drug smugglers in South America. You know what went on a year ago in New York? They're in jail today. They threw the key away. They put them in. You understand? Oh, that doesn't that doesn't transform a person. You understand what I'm saying? But a person involved la'asok b'divrei Torah. Wow. And here's the Beit HaLevi. The Beit HaLevi, and the Rav used to quote this Beit HaLevi a thousand times. My, my, the, the base, the, oh, it's unbelievable. It's the Soloveitchik family. Unbelievable. You know what's unbelievable about the Soloveitchik family? I'll tell you what's unbelievable. It's one simple thought. In the Hasidic world, if your father's a Rebbe, you can be a Rebbe. All right. Not every father has a son who's so great, but yet you all know a shtikla Rebbe, halba Rebbe. You're a Rebbe. You'll have Hasidim, fewer Hasidim, more Hasidim. You're a Rebbe. The Salavechik world, if you don't have the goods, no one looks at you. Who gives a hoot that your name is Salavechik? Lahefech, it's a disgrace. And the amazing thing is, from Abchaim Volushin on, there hasn't been a moment in Torah history in 200 years where one of the Gedolei Hadar was not a member of the Salavechik family. Understand? It's an unbelievable thought. Just think. Abchaim, the Beit HaLevi, Rabbi Yitzchak Volushin, Abchaim Volushin, the Nitziv of Volushin, Rabbi Natali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin. It's an amazing thought. Rav Moshe Salavechik, Rav Velvala, Briskarav. Amazing thought. And take a look. It continues. Look at the children. By and large. Large and by. One after another. With all the differences in Ashkafa. But take a look. And they have the goods. No one would flock to them. If you don't have the goods. A Hasidic Rebbe can play shtick. He's a Balmaifis. No, go prove that he is or isn't the Balmaifis. You understand? The woman comes to him for a bracha. Rebbe, I have ten girls. The, Reb, the Rebbe gives a bracha. A year later, a boy is born. Avi, I don't have to tell you that that woman is positive. It's the Rebbe's bracha that did it. No, I can't be certain. I don't know. I don't want to sound like a cynic, but you can't be certain. But when a Rosh Hashiva gives a shir, a hundred Talmudim are sitting in front of him. Many of them are lamdanim already. They know the goods. They know what's happening. If the Rebbe doesn't have the goods, no one's going to come back to the second shear. And take a look. The Salavechik family. It's unbelievable. So, the Rev quoted his Zayda, Elta Zayda, in the Hakdama, in the Beit HaLevi, the, the, uh, the Beit HaLevi says something amazing. He says, we have a concept of Tashmis Mitzvah and Tashmish Kedusha. It's the Gemara at the end of Megillah. What am I talking about? Tashmish Mitzvah. Certain things, 
it's you use it to do a mitzvah, but it has no inherent kedusha. For instance, a lulav v'etrok. A lulav v'etrok is an example. Now it's a lulav v'etrok. You make a bracha after sukkahs. You throw it away. It has no value. The the etrog is a stale lemon and the lulav is a dried out uh, uh, flower. It's no value. It's an amazing thought. You pay a fortune. People hunt. Their people might have a son-in-law never buys a netrog before ever a sukkah. See, and a few other dentists, they go into Meisharim, they enjoy the hunt. And I once went with them, except my nerves can't take it for another 10 shekel to hell with it. But uh, I once went with them. So I tried on this guy, uh, this guy in Meisharim. I say to him, I pick out a beautiful etrog and I give him a price, uh, half the price. I say to him, remember, tonight... I said to him, remember, tomorrow night this is worthless. Tomorrow it's a dindio writer, it has value. In 24 hours it's worthless. So this guy answers me, you're absolutely right, but I don't compromise on my price. So he walked out. We went down the block. We handled with a guy. We got terrific buys. The last day understood very well. It's like matzah. Shmura matzah, Erev Pesach, Cholomoid's worth a fortune. The day after Pesach, it's whole wheat bread. Forget it. I might as well get a whole wheat loaf. Uh, for four shekel then pay a uh, hundred shekel a kilo so uh, that's what you call a tash a tash, a, a tash mitzvah tzitzit is another example there's no inherent condition that tzitzit now Minig Israel is lately we don't throw tzitzit away but uh, but you should know if a person finishes with a talus and throws it out he throws it out it's no big deal we cut off tzitzit we, we put it into Seamus you don't know in Europe they used to use tzitzit you know what I'm talking about as bookmarkers, that you never saw, Sufre Kodesh, that old tzitzit, they would use the, the, the strands, the strings, they would use as bookmarks to use it something to do with learning. But there's no one here in Kedusha. But then you have Tashmishay Kedusha, Tvilin. What are you talking about? Tvilin, Hefzeshep Kedusha, second only to a Sefer Torah. Tvilin, Sefer Torah. This already, Chasva Khalili should throw out. So the Beit HaLevi made the analogy that Torah Shabbat is Tashmis Mitzvah. But Torah Shabbat is Tashmish Kedusha. And where is the Kedusha written? On the heart of the Jew. On the personality of the Jew. The Beit HaLevi makes the point that an Amaretz has no Kedusha, because at the most, all he knows is Torah Shebechtav, which he listened to on Monday and Thursdays in Shul. But, but, a Talmud Chachem is Tashmis Kedusha. That totally envelops him, sanctifies him. The Amaretz, he hears the Torah Shebechtav, and he closes the book, he walks away. It has no lasting effect. It's like Tzitzit. It's like Lula Vietrog. It's like a Matzah. For example, it has no lasting kedusha, but a Talmud Chacham is like tefillin, is like mezuzah, is like a sefer Torah. The kedusha lasts even when he stops learning, but it has totally enveloped and transformed and elevated his personality, and he's filled with kedusha v'tara. He's a different mahut, a different human being. This is the Beit Halevi, and of course. The Beit HaLevi wrote a raya, the Rav brings the raya, so many times the Rav quoted this Gemara, and the Rav wrote a raya that his great-grandfather was absolutely right, that it reflects in the halacha, Ma'it katan daf chafchei amir alef. 
הומד על המת, פשט יציא את נשמה, חייב לקרוע. למה זה דומה? לספר תורה שנשרף. What a Gemara. person is in the room where a person dies, he's obligated to Rav Kriya. It's a very fascinating halacha. In parentheses, I have to tell you, a lot has been written. What about nowadays when Baruch Hashem, so many religious Jews are doctors and nurses? And lo aleinu, maisim b'chal yom, that people die in their presence? What do they do? Interesting question. I'm not here to paskin, but you can ask medical doctors, what do you do? Ask nurses, what do you do? What are they taught in Shari Tzedek Nursing School? It's an interesting question. But the very concept, what's going on here? person dies. I'm not related to him. I'm not his son. I'm not his daughter. I'm not his brother. Why do I have to rip Kriya? What's happening here? And the Gemara uses the words, Lamazad Domad, these are the words of the Gemara, Lesofatorish and Ishraf, Shechayev Likroach. And the Beit Halevi and the Rav explain so beautifully, because a human being is like a Sefer Torah, Tashmish Kedusha. His whole personality enveloped, his whole personality is changed. Chayev Likroach, the death of a human being is like a Sefer Torah that's being destroyed. The death of a human being is like a Sefer Torah that's consumed by flames. The analogy is perfect. The Sefer Torah has Kedusha and the human being has Kedusha. The Kedusha of Torah, Sheba Alpeh. And that's the analogy. And that's the Lasot Padivrei Torah. And that's the difference between Torah Shabbatav and Torah Shabbatav. And that's why Torah Shabbatav is infinitely more important in forging and shaping the identity of the Torah people. And that's the Gemara in Moed Katan. I believe it's also the same Gemara as Masechet Shabbos, if I'm not mistaken. And then the Reb said something further, which is a theme that appears all over the Al HaTshuva, all over the Reb's Tshuva Joshua, and it's based upon this very, very idea. The Reb said something beautiful. How can you have a concept of Tshuva? What does Tshuva mean? What does Tshuva mean? We speak about Tshuva, we preach about Tshuva, we, we, we try to lead Jews to Tshuva, and we see unbelievable sights in life. Again, I, I refer you to Uri Zohar. Uri Zohar. It's an unbelievable story. All his friends today are the greatest Sonei Torah that exists. Aleph Bet Yoshua just joined the reform movement. says, I'm an atheist. He and Amos Oz and, and David Grossman, all three of them, hey, don't believe in God. They joined the reform movement to protest Torah. Aleph Bet Yoshua was the closest friend of Uri. Bosom friend of Uri Zohar. Uri Zohar, Atzich Kavalgit in the mud, just like these other guys. It was no different. Drugs, life is a song. A joke. Foolishness. 
Man's concern is here, now. No yesterday, no tomorrow. He's one of the boys. Now what happened? How does it happen? And the Rev said so beautifully, you know why Triva is possible? Because every Jew has some Kedusha within him. It's not possible. He didn't study something. He wasn't exposed to something. He wasn't sparked. As far as he strays, part of that spark remains. When a person does Triva, he's kindling the spark again. It's like a computer. The screen is always there. It's always on. I'll make an analogy like I began an hour ago with the Jack's analogy of last week's share. Computer. You walk into offices today, you walk upstairs. To me, I'm a computer ignoramus, but I'm always enthralled. You see scenes dancing on the computer. They tell me you're not allowed to leave the computer screen off and you have to have something something on it. It shouldn't hurt your eyes when you look at it. So you walk in. The office is empty upstairs. Lorraine is not there. Shoshana is not there yet. The computer is alive. It's awake. It's dancing. Then they come in to work. Someone called the little Arnie Rothkopf. I'm overwhelmed. Someone called for some esoteric American number yesterday. Left a message. He's looking for my books. Where can he get them? And he left the, uh, an email number so I just dictated to Shoshana she's emailing him oh, it's an amazing world what's going to go on in that computer today emails messages letters typing recording students falling what's going to go on in that computer suddenly that little computer that was inactive and all you had were goblins dancing on it suddenly during the day, the whole world is going to be turned over with that computer. And yet they're going to websites and then who knows what they'll see in those websites. And then the Ktav website and the books that are offered and, and pictures and whatnot. Oh, we punish them and websites of the OU Torah website. And we have a Shvutami Russian website which Shoshana's husband's a Russian. It's unbelievable. And then at night, you turn it off. All you have left are the goblins dancing. But Mashallah Ma'adavad Every Jew has a little Kedusha in him. Something remains. There's a residue. And that's why Truva is possible. And that's, that's why, and the Rav said this so many times, that's a magnificent thought. And that's how the Rav touched up the, again, it's the last Mishnah in Yoma. I would say that the Rav Dashan, this last Mishnah in Yoma, 101 different ways, throughout the millennium, throughout the decades, Time and again, Nachamal and Vaiti came back to this last Mishnah. And what's the last Mishnah in Yoma? Omar, Omar Rabbi Akiva. Ashrechem Yisrael if niyatem mitarin. Umi mitaheretchem. Avichem shebeshamayim. Shenema. And they quote two psukim. Yecheskul amedvav chavchev is a rakti aleichem mayim tahorim utahatem. And the Rav asked a very simple question. What is the Lashen Tahara? Should have been much more apropos. What is Yom Kippur about? Eon, I told, is a good preacher. Great. He gets up there in Yom Kippur. Jews, repent. Come back to God. Seek atonement for a year that you have wasted in living in a Clintonese fashion. 
fine, atonement, look at the key word, kapara, slicha, michila, all our davening. So what's going on here? Look at the word, Ashrechem Yisrael, lifting me atimetarin, umimetareretchem. The Rav asked the beautiful question. Time and again he asked this question. And here he dashes it this way, beautifully. He says, no, atonement is the secondary concept. The whole concept of tshuva is to get back your kedusha, to be sparked again, to become pure again. And that's why the Mishnah stresses, Lifnei Ashreichim Yisrael, Lifnei Miyatem Metarim, Ulimetaheretchem, Oh, Avichem Shebeshamayim, You need the Tahara to get back the Kedusha, then the Tshuva is possible, then the Kapara is possible, but the basic concept here is Tahara. You have to be re-sparked again, Tashmish Kedusha, not just the Tashmish Mitzvah, not something that is perfunctory and Chad Pa'ami, one moment only in time. The whole Gestalt of the human being has to be elevated and enveloped by sanctity. The Tara already leads to Kedusha. And once there's Kedusha, there's Kapara, Shlicha, Mechila. And Ayan has to say to the Jews, on this Yom Kippur, it's not enough to repent, it's not enough to approach an individual day with individual acts, but the entire Gestalt, the entire relevancy, the entire frame of the human being has to change, has to be altered, has to be elevated, has to be sanctified. Beautiful. That's the Pshatna Mishnah. That's the Kedusha. That's the Lasok with the Vrei Torah. That's the Beit HaLevi. And this is why we rip Kriya. The next part of the Shir, gentlemen, it's $5,000 to the IOU note. You can't take the words of the, words of the rough for nothing because Nathaniel, what he gets for nothing, he doesn't appreciate. Whatever he gets and he suffers and pays, believe me, his wife reminded him that it was their anniversary. How many months are you married, Avi? How long is it now? And uh, oh boy, he had to pay a heavy debt to show that he still appreciates her. Ah, oh, now he appreciates his wife. It cost him a breakfast at the Hilton, where I'm having breakfast tomorrow, gentlemen, at the Hilton. Yes, the leaders of American jury have invited the little Rebbe to the Hilton for breakfast. Okay, back here. 5,000 to the eye, Jack, write it down, because these fellas, nothing for nothing, Asya, the Megan, 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 Shafia, an open Gemara in Babakama. Aye, I thought about it all night. I stand on my version. I hate to tell you this, but over the years I found that I remember better than, than the people involved in the very act. It frightens me. I have students that I just had in, in, in North Miami Beach. I couldn't believe it, uh, that this lady, giant of Torah, giant of Yerat Shemayim, giant of Hashkafa, but the Rebbe's Talmidah didn't remember the letters she wrote to me in 1972. 1972. And I remember the letters word by word. It was the Rav, and I still see the Rav struggling, and I still see the Rav staying to your uncle. I thought it over, but I want to talk with you after class. It, and I remember he changed his psaac from one week to the next, and he, was, he struggled with it. It was a very difficult question. It's true that Rabban Salavechik took over for the Rav that year for a few months. That is true. But as I recall, 
the question, he might have asked the Baron too, I don't know. But as I recall, the question went to the Rav. As I recall, as I recall. Could be I'm wrong. Okay. And now, if this is the case, the Rav comes to a different figure. And this is a very, it's a difficult Gemara. All the Bali Musa struggle it. But what's going on in this Gemara? It's Gemara in Chagiga, Tet Amid Bet. 9b. Armalei Bahihi Lehillel. Bahihi, of course, was a famous convert, Talmud of Hillel Hasakin. Maidichtiv, and he asked him the following question. And this question is very matim now for Shabbos Hagadol, coming up shortly. Malachi Gimel, Pasuk Yitchet. Veshavtem, Reitem, Ben Tzadik, Lorosha. Ben Oved Elokim, Laasheh Lo Avdal. That, Latid Lavo. And all that's going to happen, and one of the things that's going to happen, you're going to see the difference between a tzaddik and a rasha, to an oved elokim, and one that doesn't worship God. So the Gemara asks, That's what he asked. What's going on here? What do you have to different categories. Tzaddik and Oved Elohim are one and the same. Russia and Asheloh Avdo are one and the same. Hainu Tzaddik. Hainu Avdo. Wonderful question. What's the Prophet saying? As if there are four different categories, two good ones, two bad ones. What's the difference between them? Omalei. Hillel answered him. Avdo Velo Avdo What's going on here? So Hillel answers him that you can be an Oved Elohim and not Oved Elohim, both of them at Sadikim Gemurim. Both of them at Sadikim Gemurim. They're filled with Tyre and Yerid Shemayim. They're both Tzaddikim. And nevertheless, within the Tzaddikim, there are two levels. Oved Elohim, Ashalom Avdodo. And what's the difference? That the Oved Elohim goes over his Gemara 101 times, and the low Oved Elohim only went over the Gemara 100 times. Amalei. So Bahi said to Hillel, Mishumchad Zimna Korile Lo that for going over one extra, for lacking one extra time, for just doing it a hundred times, you call him Lo Avdo? Amalayain, yes. Sayulamat Mishukshul Hamarim, go out and, and learn from the rented donkey service. Rented donkey. Asara Pase Bezuza, ten parsangs or ten miles for one zuz. Eleven miles for two zuz. What's going on here? All right. The Gemara answers like a rent-a-car. You rent a car. Some rent-a-cars give unlimited mileage. In other rent-a-cars, you have a hundred free miles a day. The minute you go over a hundred miles, you start paying a hundred and one, a hundred and two, a hundred and three. Just like the Gemara. Nothing has changed. What they call a tariff. A different tariff. If you do a hundred, the minute you go over a hundred, you start paying more. What's going on here? 
What's this Gemara all about? What's happening? A hundred times, hundred and one times. A tzaddik, a rasha, ovedalokim, lo ovedalokim. What's going on here in this Gemara? Did you ever learn this Gemara? They tight shit up. What's happening here? The Rav said so beautifully. And I have to tell you, in my work on the Rav, you'll find this in great detail with all the sources. Because it's actually, the Rav's explanation is not his own. It's based upon the Baltanya, believe it or not. And all the sources there. The Rav touched up so beautifully. What are we talking about here? Remember we spoke about Talmud Torah, women learning Torah. Remember I went into the Gemara and Gittin, of Samachamed Bet. So you see, originally the way we studied Gemara was different than today. Originally, Gemara was meant to be studied Baal Peh. Everything was meant to be Baal Peh. And the reason is obvious. To achieve the the Tashmish, the 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 the, 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 the absolute kedusha, not the Tashmish kedusha, not the Tashmish mitzvah, but the Tashmish kedusha. To be near a rebbe, to be near a living sefer Torah, to be enveloped by dedication, that the rebbe's flame should light the flame of my soul. So it took many years to master Torah Shabbat. The Rub said evidently. Chazal reached the conclusion that the minimum amount of time that you had to go over the Gemara in order to master it was 100 times. This was the cloud. This was the way the yeshiva worked. Like we work today, we have terms and semesters and exams and promotions and bechinot and mesora. And you all know what goes on until you get smicha. You all know what goes on until you graduate uh, college. So, in those days, it was structured differently. Every Talmud had to review the Sugya, the Shmaita, 100 times. When you finished 100 times, you could go home. You finished the Shia, you finished the learning, by now you've mastered it. Fine. There was the Jew in the base Medrash, the Talmud, who was so attached to learning so attached to Torah. His soul was so sparked. His personal kedusha was so great. His tahara was so overwhelming, he couldn't leave even after a hundred times. He couldn't leave. He couldn't pull himself away. It wasn't that he was studying more. It wasn't that he was learning more. Ah, you follow what I'm saying? It wasn't that he comprehended more. It wasn't that he comprehended more. A hundred times you had it. If you didn't have it by a hundred times, forget it. You're not going to understand it. You're not going to master it. A hundred times you knew it. But this was more than just learning. This was the love of Torah. He couldn't depart from it. He was linked to it. He was attached to it. The hundred and first time. And the Rav said, if it says 101 times, it means 102 times, and 103 times. And all his chaveim already left the base medrash, had gone home, went to sleep. They were strengthening themselves for tomorrow would be another day, another sigyu, another shmaita. But this Jew's heart was so aflame with Torah, he couldn't leave it. That's the Oveid Elohim. Shnei I can't complain. If a student went over it a hundred times, he'll have said, he's a tzaddik. I have no complaint to him. But the level of Oved Elohim, he didn't achieve yet. That's the higher level of the 101 and the 102 and the 103 and the 104 until the Rebbe had to come over and close his Gemara and say to him, go home, get some sleep, 
well, you need your strength for tomorrow. At that point, until then, the Oved Elohim couldn't leave the base Medrash. That's the way the Rav explained the Gemara. Ah, it's beautiful. And then the Rav, then the Rav, this is learning, this is Gatlet Patera. This is the difference, you understand? They're Abanim, alright, they're Abanim, and yet they're Abanim on a different level altogether. And the Rav described to Zayder Abchayim, he said, how can I forget my Zayder Abchayim, Leil Rosh Hashanah, when everyone was saying to Hillam, he would be sitting and going through the Mishnayat of Rosh Hashanah, he knew these Mishnayat backwards and forwards. He knew it by heart. There was nothing he could be machadesh anymore on these Mishnayat. And nevertheless, he couldn't pull himself away. This was the Kedusha Payom for him. This was Rosh Hashanah. Sechet Rosh Hashanah. He described Reb Meisha, his father, Leil Yom Kippur, going through the Mishnayat of Yaima. He said, my father knew it backwards and forwards. By heart. There was nothing left for him to learn, to be Mechadesh, to add. Couldn't pull himself away. Was glued to the Mishnah. Was glued to the text. Was glued to the Torah Shabbat Peh, the 101st and the 102nd and the 103rd and the Kedushat Smith, the Tashmish Kedusha, the Lasok with Divrei Torah, the enveloped, transformed, transfixed personality. This is a Jew. This is Torah. This is Gedola Yisrael. This is the Messorah. This is yesterday, tomorrow, blending into today. It's exactly the heart of Yiddishkeit. And the Rav said so beautifully, the same is true in a Talmud Rebbe relationship. I said this a number of times. I have it in the book and a number of... Interesting. Some Talmudim, the shear is over. They leave the room. They understood. They had Sadiqim. But there are other Talmudim, the shear may be over, but they can't leave the Rebbe. Can't part from the Rebbe. This is the secret of Kedusha, of Tara, of the Ove Delokim. This is the secret of continuing the Masora forging future generations that light, that spark, that flame, that Sefer Torah that is now burning with flames of intensity, meaning, devotion, understanding, commitment. It's a beautiful sight. And here I say to you, I put it into context. Here I say to you, and I call your attention to what I told you years ago when I described the Rav, Professor Lieberman vis-a-vis the Rav. This is exactly where it fits into the Divrei Torah. Remember who I told you about? Rabbi Raiden. Rabbi Raiden. They mean anything to you? Rabbi Raiden was rabbi of Inwood Jewish Center, conservative temple, and he became very close to the Rav. Very close. The Rav never told him to leave that position. He played a big role. He played a role in the law law committee of the rabbinical assembly because of him because of Rabbi Raiden the when they were matis they could not do it unanimously he was the one that got 
two others. He got the sources. I can still see the Rav giving him sources and telling our Lichni. I can still see it in front of me. The Rav looking to the side. Raiden is sitting in front of the Rav and he's telling Aaron, Aaron, uh, you'll, you'll take Rabbi Raiden and you'll help him find all the sources. And he made a big case and he swung three votes. Once you had three votes, it could no longer be unanimous. There was a majority decision, minority decision. But I remember one time after Shia, Rabbi Raiden didn't miss a Shia of the Rav Zichon Racha. The Rav was must for him. He died young. I died in his midst. He has sons that live in Eretz Israel. Too. So, um, how did you know Rabbi Raiden? How did he ask the name of the Oh, from, so, so you remember from me. So this is where it fits in. You understand? So he said, new fellas, you want to know, I studied with the Rav, I studied with Professor Liebman, what's the difference? And I'll never forget those words. He said, the Rav you never see without Talmudim. Liebman finishes the lecture, pops up, back to the library, you don't see him all week. That's exactly, exactly the difference. And you know something? This I didn't tell you last time, but I'll tell it to you now. I have an interview. Liebman was interviewed the early 70s in Hatzofer. I had had just come to Israel. When I came to Israel, I was trying to learn what's going on here. Now today, I know what's going on here. But those days, I was in Alech Hadash. And of course, Liebman was going back and forth. He was here half a year, half a year in America. So they interviewed Liebman. You understand the Mizrahi movement suffered. Liebman, the the son-in-law of Rav Meir Berlin, Rav Meir Barilan, the ranking professor at the seminary. So they asked him in this interview, Professor Lieberman, why are you at the seminary? And he answered, because it's the only place I could teach at that gave me all the time I needed for my research. All I taught was four hours a week. The rest of the time I spent in the library. You understand? That's exactly the opposite of the Rav. Exactly the opposite. And that's the Torah Shabbat. That's Talmudim. That's the Rebbe. That's the Rav. That's exactly the Rav. That's 101 times, 102 times, and 103 times. And I have to tell you that in the golden years of my teaching, I don't say the golden years of my life because maybe these are the golden years now, but in the golden years of my teaching in Michwala, I have to tell you that the Machal girls would walk me, they would never leave go of me. And you would see a sight, whenever I taught in Michwala, I would park my car over here, because I come from that part of the city and walk over to Michala. Five, six girls would be walking back with me to my car every time, every time surrounded, talking, questioning, because I always ended. My latest, my last class was always a machal class, whatever the reasons were. And I always would think of this Gemara, 101, 102, 103. I can still hear the Rav's voice ringing in my ears. And if we can go one step further, again, as I've told you, the Rav never said this drasha, but all the Torah is his. And if I can go one step further, this and the Rav said this in his famous talk, Pashat Korach, the early 70s, this was the first time that I know of that the Rav openly related Labriyut to feminism and all the problems that were on the scene already, the late 60s, early 70s, and, and conservative Judaism, and the Rav was dealing with Korach. And he quoted the Yerushalmi, it's also a, uh, a Tanchuma, Yerushalmi Sanhedrin, Perik Yud, Subdivision Aleph, and, and Rav Oma, Korach, Apikorosaya. Korach was an Apikoros. Ma'asa, what did he do? Amad Talit Shekulat 
It's an unbelievable Gemara. What's happening here? Karach was logical. Karach was right. He said, you take a white toilet and all you need are a few chutei treilet. If the toilet is entirely treilet, why should you need any tzitzit on it, any treilet on it? And Moshe Rabbeinu answers, Gedilam tasalacha. Buy it malay svarim. You take a house at that time, all the svarim was scrolls. If you have an empty room, this room has very few scrolls in it. No scrolls. So you put up a mezuzah. But if you take a bayit malay svarim, what do you need a mezuzah for? There's so many scrolls. It's a, it's a kalvachayma. This was Karim. And Moshe answered him, No, it's chayim. Uketaftam al mezuzah beitecha. What's happening here? What's happening here? What's the machloket? And the Rav said so beautifully. Korach's position was, it's no need to learn, no need to study. No need for the hundred times, the hundred and one, the hundred and two, the hundred and three, everything we just spoke about. Torah was common sense. All you did was take your everyday empirical experience, your everyday mercantile experience, your marketplace experience, all of us every day, we use common sense. Open up a newspaper. Use common sense. What to do with shekel, with dollars, with investments, with, with, with careers. Well, well, we all use common sense. The same common sense you apply to the halacha. There's no need to spend 40 years with a Rebbe mastering Torah Shabbat Peh. It's common sense. Korach, if I can quote Rebbe, lacked the patience to master the unique halachic conceptual system. He was not a London. He wanted to turn halacha into an everyday, mundane, mercantile, marketplace experience. Moshe Rabbeinu said, Chas v'chalila. Torah is not common sense. Torah works within its own boundaries, its own borders, its own conceptual halachic analyses. It is unique. It takes many years to master. It must have a Rebbe and a Talmud. The Talmud must be sparked. It has nothing to do with common sense but it has everything to do with the in-depth learning process and the unique fire-consuming relationship of Kedusha Vitara of the Rebbe and the Talmud. Of course, Moshe Rabbeinu won, Moshe Remet, the Torah Toemet, and Jews possess this Kedusha of Torah Shabbat today we are Tashmishay Kedusha, not just Tashmishay Mitzvah, and learning the 101st and the 102nd and the 103rd time are critically important to our existence and continuity. And at that time the Rav said, this is exactly our machloket with the conservative movement.
What is the conservative movement based upon? That ultimately, common sense determines the halacha. And you can take every conservative decision. Famous decision that lives on until today, quoted on the Israeli TV by Reverend Bandel, their leading representative here in Israel, writing to Shul on Shabbat. Common sense. You live too far. You don't go to Shul. You can't daven. You don't feel Jewish. Allowed to ride. Common sense. Fish in a trafe restaurant. Person is traveling. Has to eat. Needs food. Fish in a trafe restaurant. Permitted. Common sense. And you go on and on. And the Rav said, this is the heart of Amachloket. You take the women's issue, which the Rav related to at that time, of course, in, in the egalitarian society of the United States, the Western world, men and women are no different equal. You look at it logically, rationally. Men can be called to the Torah, women can be called to the Torah. Men can be counted for minion, women can be counted for minion. Men can be rabbis, women can be rabbis. Men can be chazanim, women can be chazaniyah. It's common sense. But that's not Torah. Torah works within its own dialectical boundaries, its own halachic sense. And it was then that the Rav gave that irrefutable example of Hannah, the famous example of Hannah. Hannah, the mother of prayer, the woman who taught us how to pray. All of Shmon Esrei is based upon Hannah. Until this very moment, a million Jews davened this morning, Shmon Esrei not uttering a word aloud. Where did we learn this from? Where did we learn it from? From Hannah. And yet the same Hannah, who's the mother of prayer, the woman who taught Klal Yisrael, every Jew, how to pray from time immemorial until today, Hannah could not and cannot be counted to a minion. Where's common sense? Where's common sense? Horach was common sense. If Hannah taught us how to pray, then Hannah can be part of a minion. That's absolute. It's absolute logic and rational and common sense and egalitarianism and America and Western civilization. 100% the conservative movement and Korach are absolutely right. But that's not Torah. That's not Torah. Torah... It's a different system. It's not logic at times. It's not rational. It doesn't. It can't be measured with Western concepts. It moves within its own parameters, and those parameters, forty years it takes to master. Talmud Rebbe, Rebbe Talmud, Kedusha V'Tahara, ongoing relationship, one hundred and one, one hundred and two, one hundred and three. Ashrechem Yisrael, Lifnei Miyatem Mitaharim. And that's what Torah is about. Meridik, Meridik. Impossible to refute. The example of Hannah, I can still remember the impact that example left. And the Rav always came back. I don't think there's a finer example that says it all than Hannah, the mother of prayer. And one step further. One step further. In Yeradiyoma. Right here, right now. Right where we're sitting. This has been our ongoing conflict with secular Zionists. What was Zionism? What was Zionism? By the way, part of this already appears in the Hamesh Drashat. What was Zionism? 
Zionism was a rebellion. A rebellion against the old Jewish way of life. The way we lived in Europe, the way we lived in the ghettos. A life that was God-centered, Torah-centered, mitzvah-centered, Torah-learning, davening. And Zionism came along and said, we don't need all that. We need a land. And we're going to have a land. And in that land we're going to speak Hebrew. And we're going to have an Israeli flag. And we're going to have Israeli holidays. And we're going to have Jewish identity through a Hebrew culture. And there's no need for mitzvah. There's no need for observance. A Jew will remain a Jew without the observance. Because everything about him living in Eretz Israel, living in the state of Israel, will remind him he's a Jew. And there's no need for any observance. Observance? Yes. This was said by many great Zionists. We're not against observance. It was very important. We don't denigrate it. It was very crucial in the Gola, in the diaspora. That's how you remained a Jew. That's how you kept your identity. But now we've come home, no longer needed. And I have to tell you, there were many YU graduates, and I can be more broad, many American yeshiva graduates who made it to Israel in the early years and threw away any vestige of Torah observance. I know some of these Jews today. I don't want to mention their names because you know their sons and their grandchildren. Today they're tzaddikim. The parents, the grandparents, I mean, they came back. But they told me they were overwhelmed. What do you need mitzvah for? Intelligent people. A daughter, one individual thing of a daughter of a great rabbi, a great American rabbi, a great machanich. You know this woman's brothers, they're very prominent in the YU world. She threw it all away. 48, 49, they came, they fought, they lived those traumatic years, the founding of the state. And they were overwhelmed by this beautiful secular Zionist dream. We don't need Torah mitzvah here. That is limited to the Golah. It kept us Jewish. Now we can return. We can normalize. We don't need this burden. That was a continuation of Korach, a continuation of conservative Judaism. It's exactly the common sense premise. And what did religious Zionism answer? You can have a bayat malay you can have a talachakulat a rich, beautiful culture enveloping in you. Sophisticated culture. Hebrew, language, everything Jewish. But without the tzitzit, without the mezuzah, you will not retain your Judaism. You will not retain your commitment and even your commitment to the land of Israel. And it's frightening. There's a, and this is what the Rav said. It's frightening. There's a letter from Rav Cook. A letter from Rav Cook in the collected writings. And Rav already in in the 1900s, early 1900s, he wrote about secular Zionism that ultimately it becomes pure nationalism and finally even that is not left. That people will despise the land and run away because pure nationalism alone is not enough to bind the Jew to the land. Rav Cook wrote that. And the Rav, I have this in my book, 
the Rav describes in Boston when Israelis started arriving to study at MIT, at Harvard, and the Rav said, I befriended some of them. And he says it was amazing. These Israelis, totally irreligious, would give me Musa. Why are you living in Boston? You have to live in Israel. They were tremendous Zionists. And the Rav said, at the end of a year or two, they moved out of Brookline, they moved to the suburbs, they wanted to have nothing to do with the Jewish community. Allah had come of a comma with the state of Israel that they left behind. And the Rav said, when your whole commitment here is pure nationalism, pure common sense, then you trade it very easily. Today I'm an Israeli citizen, tomorrow an American citizen, lower lane we have Israelis today that are German citizens. Common sense. No commitment. This is where I was born. I'm born here. I'll be born there. I'll live there. Commitment there. And that's the Rav's famous comment in Hamesh Drashat. Although I'm a great Zionist, the Rav says, there's a world of difference between my Zionism and that of Chaim Weizmann. And he refers to Chaim Weizmann's volume. Remember Trial and Error, Chaim Weizmann's autobiography? And the Rav said, I just finished reading his autobiography. And I'm shocked the way Chaim Weizmann relates to Judaism, what his attitude is, and how secular Zionism will conquer all. And the Rav says, I may be a Zionist, but my Zionism is light years different than the Zionism of Chaim Weizmann. My Zionism is not the secular, uh, communist-like Zionism that, that he preaches. You have to see the Rav's exact words. Okay, let me reiterate. We're not finished up with the Shia. The, the most practical part is yet to come, but the heart of the Shia was today. The heartbeat of the Shia, overwhelming material, and it just inspires me as, as many times as, as I studied the Rav and I know the Rav. This is the heart of the Rav's message. The 101, the 102, the description of Reb Chaim, the description of, of Reb Moshe. This is the heart of the Rav's message. No two ways about it. Uh, and the, the Korach with the common sense, this is the Rav's answer to feminism, to conservative Judaism, and with all his derecherets, he was not someone to go out and fight battles on the street, but intellectually, this is a total knockout. There's no way to refute the Rav's magnificent words. Now, let me reiterate. What did we do today? First of all, I like Jack's example going back to last week, the Rembrandt, the difference between carrying letters to America and paying the shliach, mail these letters, he has a whole business. We get shlichim, we pay them $100, whatever it is, and they take back a suitcase with a few thousand letters to mail. And for us, it works out cheaper and more reliable than mailing it here. Um, uh, and many institutions do it. But when you give someone a Rembrandt and he charges, you give it to him a gift for nothing and then he charges for you to view it, that's not nice. So that's my Nibachinam Afatabachinam. Then we started Igrid the Pirker Rahita. Ah, what a concept. The merit of attending a lecture runs, lies in the running. La Sopud the Torah. I told you I have a Torah from, from my Mashkir of Yaakov Mesha Cohen lesson. Where does this Kedusha express itself? If it is Torah Shabbat and it is Lasok with the Torah, and where does it express itself, and everything we spoke about in the Praetor of Kenyan Torah, Shanu Chacham Balashana Mishnah, 
Where does it express itself? And that was the Beit HaLevi, the Tashmishay Mitzvah, the Tashmishay Kedusha. It expresses itself in the heart of the human being, the soul, the whole Gestalt. Every Jew who's learned Torah becomes a walking Chevza of a Sefer Torah. A Sefer Torah shall Torah Shemal Peh. And that's the Gemara in Marit Katan and in Shabbos, that Haroa, if you're there when a person dies, you're obligated to rip Kriya. La Mashal Domer, La Sefer Torah Shenesraf, an unbelievable Gemara. And then Tshuva, we got involved with the whole Mishnah at the end of Yoma. How is Tshuva possible? The Rav's unbelievable thought, the Tahara. Why is there Tara? Why is why isn't it Lefnemiatam Mitkaprim? But it's Lefnemiatam Mitaharin because we take back the kedusha that we lost. We need the Tahara before before we can come to the Kapara. And then the heart of the Shir was the Gemara in Chagiga, the hundred and first time, the hundred and second time, the difference between Professor Liebman and the Rav. And that brought us to Korach. We finished up with the Yerushalmi and the tremendous Machloket Moshe Rabbeinu with Korach. And we applied that machlokut within the terminology of secular Zionism, the feminist movement, and the conservative movement as well. Gentlemen, Adkan, today's Sheur, let us shift gears.